Welcome, superhero. Your heart is in the right place. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. In this second season of the Superhero of Love podcast, I'm gathering tips from thought leaders about how we can unpandemicize our hearts, heal the effects of the pandemic on our hearts, and love and be loved more than ever before. So let's get this heart party started. Welcome. I'm very excited. We are here with a major superhero of love. Her business is hearts. Her business is uh, bringing our hearts to our ultimate loves. Nicole Moore is here. She is a celebrity love coach, and she has a new TV show that she will tell us about in a bit called Reality of Love. I love that uh, title. Thank you. And I want to say welcome, Nicole. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I love that you, I should be wearing your outfit. You match my heart. Fact, <laughs> you match my heart. Oh my oh. God. That's such a, so I'm so excited to have you here. I called Nicole a couple of weeks ago to say, I I'm doing this new course and I wanted to warn her that I'm going to be funneling people to her because my new course is called the happy single heart. And it's encouraging women to take away everything that's stopping them from being happy and completely fulfilled and love filled, even when they're not in a relationship. And one of the really cool byproducts of that is that then they are ready to receive love, right? So then I can send them over to you, like mm -hmm. <laughs> that way now. <laughs> so uh, we were just, we were talking about that. So I'm super, super excited about, about that, the journey of love that I'm hoping to be step one on. But I want you, I want to start this by having you tell us how you came to being a celebrity love coach, I feel like you popped out of the womb as a master manifester, but <laughs> I want to hear about the journey. I want to hear about your manifestation powers, but I really want to hear, I want them to hear your journey to being a celebrity love coach. I always say like my journey to being a love coach really did start in my childhood. So I'm a twin. I'm a fraternal twin. I was born um, three pounds. Like we were both very premature um, like three months earlier, something like that. And this was in 1984 guys. So the doctors then, <laughs> you know, like the bedside manner was a little bit different. So my, as my mom tells it, okay. She said that the doctor said, don't get attached to these babies. They're going to die. Like literally, like that's, that's where we were at. Like these babies are not, um, going to survive. And I always say like, it was like in that moment, I think something snapped in my mom and she was just, you know, we get these fears. We, we, everybody says they want love, but most people on some level are afraid of love. So I say it started then because, and also, um, we're my, me and my sister were both premature, but I came home several weeks after her. So can you imagine like how much more my mom got to bond with the, the first baby? So I'm just telling you that to set the story for my entire childhood. And, uh, you know, uh, for most of my life, I felt like I'm not lovable. So I didn't grow up. I had, you know, we had, we, we, we had a okay standard of living, I guess we were, you know, middle-class upper middle-class. It's not like I was starving, but I was starving for love. Like my entire childhood and early life, I was starving for love. My parents didn't say, I love you. I mean, I have a million stories and they're not, so not they're bad people, but both of them happened to have 
blocks to giving and expressing love. So as a child, I remember literally thinking like, if my own parents don't love me, like no one will. Because I remember looking around and going, I, we, <laughs> I have a story of going to, um, we, me and my sister got to study abroad in the fifth grade because there was like a student exchange. We went to France, we went to Nice, France. So like, when I say we got to do cool stuff like that, like my parents, not like my parents were just like, goodbye, you know, they let us do stuff. But so I remember one day, like um, after three weeks of being there or something, everybody's homesick and they're like, OK, everybody got a package from your parents. And I, and I was the only kid in the entire class that didn't get a package, that didn't get a care package. So I remember sitting there so ashamed, so embarrassed, holding back the tears and watching every other kid with glee open up this care package. And my parents just they didn't do it. You know, so there were so many moments like that for me where like the message was. I am not lovable. Like there must be something really wrong with me because you're supposed to love me and you're you're not you're not. To my eyes, they were. And of course they did and they do. They just couldn't show it. So, you know, I had a lot of wounds and then I I didn't even have a boyfriend until it's so funny because I didn't even have a boyfriend until college, right? But um when I started dating, it was very uh I had a lot of fear. I couldn't sleep at night if a guy didn't text me back. Like I was just very addicted to trying to get the love because I felt like I didn't have the love. And there was a lot of trauma. And um, I ended up in a relationship with somebody who I thought was my soulmate. And he was not, he was an emotionally abusive narcissist, serial cheater who would cheat on me and tell me it was my fault. But during the time that I was in the relationship with him, I was working in public relations, which is what I got a degree for. And I remember sitting at, at office and thinking like, I need to be doing something else. Like I need to do something else with my life. I want to help people. And I want to be, I want to be an entrepreneur. That's all I knew. I went to a seminar at Landmark Education and this girl gets on stage. Landmark? And I did Landmark. I yeah. did Landmark. Oh, I did. That's so cool. There's good things about Landmark, you know, a yes. um, couple yeah. things from them. So this girl gets on stage and Landmark, for those who don't know, is all about expressing your possibilities and then becoming the possibility. So <laughs> gets on stage and she's like, I'm 24 and I declare I'm, be I'm becoming a love coach. And I was 26 at the time and something in me sparked because I was like, Oh, you don't have to be like, you know, uh, have lived the 50, 60, 70 years to be a, a life coach. And so I started researching life coaching schools and I saw that MYU had a certification. And then um, at some point I did it. So, um, so I took the certification when I was 27 and I just was like, well, you know, I'll try it out. I'll see. And I loved it. And I felt like finally, this is something that I could do. So that's how I got into life coaching. But at the time I was with that emotionally abusive narcissistic person who I thought was my soulmate and I wanted to spread love. I wanted to help people with self-love at the end of the day because that was my journey. So it morphed into this relationship coaching and I started the business while I was in that relationship. I had to leave that relationship. So I was helping people get married. I'm crying on the floor because I've left this narcissist for the last time. Like that, it was that juxtaposition for a while where it's like, my life is not reflecting this, but I know this. I know I'm helping people with this. And so I had to take my own uh, knowledge and do it for myself. And then I attracted my husband, Mike, who's really amazing. And um, the celebrity thing started because, I don't know, like I've just always been into reality TV and, and I used to read Us Magazine and, and um, I, I mean, we were going to events in LA back and forth and I would give offer free coaching sessions at different events. And I started working with some, some Netflix celebs and some people on there. So it kind of morphed from there, but it started, the journey started with lack of love with so much incredible lack of love, seeing how that 
negatively impacted my relationships. And then deciding, that's why I called my company Love Works. It's like, I'm going to figure out <laughs> how to make this how to make this thing um, work. So I've worked with a lot of people since then from every possible situation you could imagine. Um, and it's been cool to see to see love work for so many different kinds of people. Right. You crack the code for every situation. Yeah. So what was your, so I can't even believe that you had that one relationship and then it was Mike. I, I thought you were going to say, because she and Mike are so incredibly adorable together. They look like they just met. Like you have that, you know how couples can have that vibe where they're yeah. dating or something? Like you still have the dating vibe and you've got yeah. a kid even, yeah. you know, like it's like, so uh, you guys have a, a pretty inspiring um, relationship. So I can't even believe that you, you just it was literally- a year. So it was a year. Like I, I, I literally was like, I'm putting myself on my own plan and I'm doing everything. So between that, it was like a year. And um, for, for and Mike at the time, so Mike, what he got divorced, his sister died. He went through like a dark night of the soul. So it was like, he was on a similar thing, except, and then he went, you know, he had to do therapy for healing from the grief. So like at the same time that I was healing is the same time he was healing. He'd said, okay, I'm ready to go date. He opened up Tinder and I was his first date. <laughs> so he was, he was a little bit luckier than I was in terms of like having to go through so many, um, so many different people, but it's like, we both had done enough work. And I will say like, I was very much clear, like I need somebody centered. That was my number one thing. Like I, I knew I needed somebody who, when fear come up, came up, they were going to choose love. Like that mm. was my number one mm. thing that I was looking for. And I wish more people would um, look for that quality because I was very clear when I was dating, Mike asked me to be exclusive on the third date. And I said, no, because I was like, I need to see that you are centered. Like I don't have enough information yet. Right. I need to know that because to me, if somebody doesn't have that, then their relationship isn't going to work no matter what, you know? And I wish more people like, fine, look for somebody. I think Mike's attractive. Like look for somebody attractive, look for somebody with this and that. But if they're going to choose fear, the relationship is not going to work. Wow. That is brilliant. And by the way, Mike is super attractive and he's also super talented and he's super smart. Like he has a list of qualities, an endless list of qualities. So yeah. you really scored. What other, I love that quality that you wish that they would search for that. What else? Are there any other ones that you think are like underrated? Like that people just, you wish yeah, they would focus apart. Like, like people mm. are like, I, at the end of the day, I was like, I need somebody with a pure heart. Like when I met Mike, I could tell, like, it doesn't mean that, I mean, he has a, a path. If you talked to him when he was in his twenties, he was like doing drugs, trying to be a rock and roller. Like, doesn't mean that people can have like a, a past, but some people, I feel like they go through life experiences and they still have an open heart. And even if they're hurt, like they still have a willingness, they still have a purity within them. They're not hardened. You know what I mean? And I can mm -hmm. see that Mike. And I think that people, you need to look with different eyes, like look with, look with your emotional eyes, look with your heart eyes, because if this is somebody that's going to be with you for the rest of your life, like they need to have a pure heart, pure, good intentions. And I feel like that's not cool anymore, but I find, I honestly, am like, I love wholesomeness now at this point in my life. I'm like, I can't get enough of like wholesome, good um, energy. And I think some people, they think that if they are with somebody who's good, they're like, that's nice. And I'm going to be bored or and boring. Yeah. Good right. is not the same thing as being nice, right? Being good means at the end of the day, you have a pure, well-intentioned heart. And I think if somebody has a good heart, 
then you can really work with that. So good is not nice. <laughs> People, you don't have to be with somebody nice. It's not settling. Look for somebody with a good heart. Look, and I always say like, if you just find somebody you're more compatible with from the get-go, it's going to go better. Like I remember when I was with that narcissist, I felt like I loved him, but there was like, there was a lot of things I didn't like. It didn't mesh. It didn't gel well, right? So when I was doing my work of like, what do I really want in a relationship? I was like, how is this going to work for me? And I know it sounds selfish to think that way, but I'm like, what is aligned for me? Like, for example, I cannot sleep in the same bed as somebody it has nothing to do with Mike. That's been forever. Right. Like, and a lot of my clients are that way. They're highly sensitive people. Their energy is a little bit different. And so I remember like close to the beginning of our dating saying, listen, you need to know this. Can you handle this or not? Because I was looking for somebody that would work with me because also I knew what I bring to the table. And I think people compromise in the beginning because they want love or they want attention or they want something exciting in their life and it's not going to go well. So look for compatibility off the bat. Like I think me and Mike work really well because we're compatible. We like the same things. And not just that, we think the same way. If we're going to go on vacation, we kind of want to do the same things. Not that you can't always, you know, have different vacations, but we're compatible in a lot of ways that really, really, really matter. So I'm not fighting Mike. I'm not wanting him to change. He knows the one thing I've always said, there's only one thing I'll change about you, Mike. And it's that he would be moody sometimes. And um, that's it. They have like, you're sometimes right. you're, he knows right. I, I'm honest right. with him, but right. not even right. that, like, thanks to a lot of the tools that we've been given in our spiritual journey, even that's going, <laughs> but I, I didn't fight oh, that. Sweet. I yeah. accepted it because on the flip side is he, he has a lot of positive emotions. So there's literally like, I remember one of my clients, uh, Amanda, she asked me one time, like, what do you want to change? And I sat there like this, hmm. I had to think for a long time about what I wanted to change about him. And I just, it's like, yeah, sometimes he can be moody, but I also like that because, you know, it means he's open to positive emotion. So if, if you mm -hmm. have somebody, if you have to think so much about if all the things you want to change about somebody, they might not be a good fit. Now, with that being said, you have to understand where this is coming from. So when I said, what do I want in somebody? Okay. I made my list of everything. I went down and I said, which ones are coming from ego? Okay. Cause if it's coming from ego, that's not really truth. So I think sometimes Ooh, when I that's say good. People, you can have everything you want in a relationship, their ego goes crazy. I don't mean that. I mean, so I sat down and like, what do I really want? If you want a guy who's six feet four, because that's been communicated to you that that's going to make you more worthy. That's not true, right? If you want a, a woman who has like, I don't know, cooks every day for you, that's coming from not a real place, then that's not real. But maybe you do want that, right? I cooked for my husband. So I had to look at every quality and say, is it coming from ego? Or is it coming from truth? How do we know if it's coming from ego? If you want something in somebody else, because you think it's going to make you feel better about yourself, like, like fill some void in yourself. If you want it, because you think that other people are going to look at you better. If you have that, that's coming from ego. If you want something in somebody else, because it's going to fix some deficiency within you, that is coming from ego. That's very different from what I call heart qualities. Like I want somebody who, even if it's, you want somebody wealthy, right? You can want that because you fear you're never going to make money in your life and you're mm. alive. 
Or you can want somebody wealthy because you're like, you know what? Like I have this grand vision for this big lifestyle and I want to contribute to it, but I want them to contribute. There's, there's energies, right? So mm-hmm. you have to look at why do I want it? If your ego wants it, that's what's going to happen. Go, go try and get it. You're going to manifest somebody who you think has all those qualities. And then all your wounds are going to show up. <laughs> so right. like, Right. It doesn't make sense. So I would say the heart qualities, don't give up on them. Like that's what you actually need in a relationship. So that's what I mean when I say you can have whatever you want in a relationship. Oh, I love that. And also I was just thinking, I love how you said that purity of heart thing. And I'm, it's like echoing in everything that you say right now. And one of the things that you and Mike have that I love is that Everybody around you knows that you want his best and he wants your, he wants you to have your best life, right? Like you both literally 100% uh, support each other, no matter what. It's like, yes, whatever you want, whatever you need. And that is, that to me is like purity of heart, right? Because you're not, you're not asking for a compromise. You're not asking for any, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just pure. Like mm-hmm. I want you to have your best life so yeah. much. Mm-hmm. What can I do to support that? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and that's also like, but like, I remember being in different places where it's like, I had fear, I had jealousy and it, it comes down to like, when I met Mike, I felt really good in myself. And I also felt like the phrase I was repeating to myself was, with any guy that I was dating, I'd rather lose him than lose me. Cause it was so much about like, I need to keep my good spirit, my good energy, my good connection. So I, I felt like at the point I met him, I was like, I feel good with me. Right. So to your point about your program and what you're doing with, with what you're going to be doing with women in your program, it's like, I felt good within me. I mean, at that time, like my business was growing and I was focusing on, you know, what I like. So my time, the my time, it wasn't like my life is horrible. And then you come film my life. And then, but, oh my God, if you leave, if you grow, I'm scared. Cause I have nothing. It was like, I'm great. Who's going to elevate my life more. And I think that's both the place that we come from. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I want Mike to shine. He's doing some, he's working on projects right now in the entertainment industry. And I'm like, I want to see him fulfill his vision and live his dreams because like why not you know but I remember not feeling that way and feeling jealous and all sorts of stuff in other kinds of relationships so it ultimately had to do with me when I was in that place yeah I you just sparked something else in my brain which is that you know when we make when we make choices out of fear when we are in fear when we're not filled up then our ego does like when you're filled up, your ego is quieted because mm-hmm. the ego is only rearing its head because it's terrified, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's it like yeah. <laughs> pull yourself up, that fear goes away and the ego is tamed so that you can just be a heart. Because when your ego is like, it, it's a heart blocker, right? Yeah. The ego. The egos, it's, I mean, we all have it, but it's, yeah. um, it's crazy. And mine used to scream at me. I mean, I used to walk around, <laughs> I used to literally walk around going, did I die? And is this hell? Like, because I was in so much emotional, mental pain. And it was, it felt like my, the negative voice in my head was screaming at me 24 seven and shrieking. And there was so much negativity and that I, I literally used to walk around New York city going, what if I died in this hell? Like that, to give you an idea of like, <laughs> the, I, I laugh now because that's not how I feel, but there was just so much, um, 
negativity. So can you imagine like then, then I was addicted to love because then somebody would come by my side and it, it would, being with them would feel better than being with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then I I need them. And then, so I, over time, I realized like, I have to feel as good, if not better, just being with myself as I do with them, because then I'm not going to feel so, you know, um, addicted to them. And the ego, the fear does get in the way of love. I think it's the only thing in the way of love, not meaning you can't be in a compatible relationship with everyone, but like fear can get in the way at any point in time, you know? And so Mm -hmm. when I started on this journey of really trying to heal, I would wake up every morning and I would just say, please fill my mind with love. Please show me how to think thoughts of love. Please show me filter my life and everything through the lens of love, because I was just trying to tip the balance, you know, and over time it did. And I remember like having moments where I'd have like positive thoughts in my mind. And I remember going, oh my God, like it's working, it's working. And now it's shifted to where if I have those fearful thoughts that I'm aware of, right. There's some are subconscious. It's like, I can see it, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't hook me as much, but if you were to ask Mike, he, he would see the moments where I'm in trigger and fear, you know, it doesn't like never, it doesn't ever happen. That's another thing I recommend for relationships guys. It's like, one thing I like about Mike is that if I, if we ever um, have an argument, right. Which really isn't that often. Um, <laughs> but um if we ever have an argument, like he, he can see my triggered self as not my real self. If that oh, makes sense. beautiful. Absolutely. And, um, and so he knows it's not me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really, he's very forgiving. Like he doesn't like hold that, um, where I'm more like, um, it's not that I hold on to stuff. It's that maybe this is a woman thing. Like I, it takes me more to get longer to get rid of stuff, you know, but he forgives right away. And I think if you can be with somebody who forgives right away, (laughs) really good because, um, you know, ultimately we don't want to hold on to that stuff. And, and if you can see, I had to do that when Mike was going through a challenge a long time ago with a lot of pain. I remember I had to try and see him without that. And I had to Mm. use that lens, you know? And so, I think that if you're going to be in a long-term relationship and you want it to be successful, that's a good skill to practice is notice the lens that you're viewing your partner from and what are you deciding is them? (laughs) Because a lot of times we decide that the triggered self is them and it's not them. It's just their triggered self. Yeah. I actually, it's funny you brought that up because I have wondered that more than once, what it was like for you in your marriage when he was in he was in like level eight pain 24 yeah. seven, right? Like how do you support how? So how do you see him without that lens? I don't even know how you did that. I feel like you're a magician because. That's well, no, so- it wasn't all the time. Okay. So first of all, my son was like two or something at the time. So my, what I knew was he's never going to know that this happened. That was my first thing. Like he's never going to see from my face. He doesn't know. Like he's still maybe on some subconscious level, but if you tell him, Hey, daddy was in pain for three years, he, he doesn't know. So, so I had a very strong uh, motivation and reason why to like persevere through this challenge was my son. I knew he was not going to have a sad mom. I knew like when I'm with him, I've got to be in a good vibration because he's not, he, he didn't understand what was happening. So if I was upset and sad and all that, he would take it on as if it was him. So I knew like, I've got to get it together. And I'm very good at like, Hey, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And like I said, like, it's not selfish. It's like, I need to take care of myself first so I can be there for others. So 
Yes, Mike was going through a very severe pain challenge, debilitating him more over time. He had to stop working more and more time just in the bed in pain. Every time I saw him, his face was a grimace. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Like every time it was just, he, he, he got to the point where he couldn't even eat. Like it was too painful to eat. So while that's happening at the same time, other people also don't know this at the same time that that was happening. Um, I was, I had, I was, I had a sales team that I was managing my business and I was had, I had like three different programs running at the same time, but the sales team wasn't working. So it was also like my bills at the time were very, 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 very high. Like what people's salaries are, were my bills per month and Mike couldn't work. So I was the only one that had to do that. I had all of these clients, like I'm in all these different groups and I had my son and I'm like, what do I, what am I going to do? So what I told Mike was, listen, I can give you this much attention and this much care, but you need to know, like, I cannot be a caretaker for you full-time through this. I'm sorry. I know you want that. I can't do that. Okay. Here's what I can do. So, and I, so what would happen was I would like, okay, I'll stay with you a little bit of the night, but then like the, the later two hours, like I have to go, I have to take care of myself. I have to, and that would be my time where I'm like, I need to get right spiritually. I need to do self-care. So the, the painful part for me was, I know he wanted more of a care. He was going through, he needed more of a care, needed that, but I needed to take care of me so mm -hmm. I could take care of him and also take care of my son. So I had to be right with that. Like, I know he's going to experience some lack of care, but mm. I still gave him a lot of care. You know, it wasn't like I ignored him. And so, but when I would, so I, I did this game with myself. I'm like, Nicole, Jesus could see people that were sick and, 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 I, and like, Believe me, I got nowhere near that <laughs> point, but I was trying to play this game of like, how do I, uh, how do I see the health in him? How do I see him good? Wow. So I go upstairs at night and I would just envision him being good. I would envision him well. And when I would, I would notice when I was like, ah, oh, uh, he's sick. Cause all the doctors were like, this is never getting better. I mean, it was like, it was a whole thing. And I would envision him well so when I was by myself it was easier than when I was looking at him in the face there's plenty of times I got upset there's plenty of times I had breakdowns but I eventually got to the point and I was always researching I was always researching like how to help this problem so but there's many there was a point where I, I remember sitting in my bed and going the only person that can solve this is God there must be a miracle like the only thing that will oh. solve this is a miracle and I got it I'm like we just need a miracle. <laughs> like, so then I had to be in, and then I told Mike, I said, you need to believe that you need to do the work in your mind to believe that a miracle can happen. So to Mike's credit, he's able to do that. Cause I told him, I'm like, I can't believe this for you. You need a miracle. No one will, no one, this, no one's going to solve this, but God, you need to believe in that. Okay. <laughs> so that was like what he had. I knew, I knew what he had to do and what I had to do, which I think a lot of people in a caretaking position, they don't do that. They don't have boundaries. They don't care for themselves. And then it's, it doesn't really help the other person. So I'm like, cool. So then I had to give it to God and I had to really trust, like I, you were the only person that can solve this. So there must be a solution that is coming, you know? And so I had to keep practicing doing that. Now, here's what I'll say about all this in terms of relationships. When I was a kid, my mom had severe migraines, vomiting uh, and pain in the dark room. I remember trying to go on her bed, my dad taking me out the room. I remember her seeing her inject herself in the leg with medication. She also oh. was alcoholic. Like I, there's, I have many stories where 
we would go to parties and I'd be like, mommy, I'm so tired. I want to leave. And she'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'd be like sleeping on that. So, so there was this energy for me of the person that I love the most is sick, is unwell, and I'm not safe. So this is why I believe this happened to me in the mm. relationship. And I knew that when this was going through it, I knew I need to comfort that inner little girl inside of me because this is what this is for me. The person that I love is very, very, very sick. I have to figure out how to make that part of me feel safe because like he's not, he literally cannot, you know? So in right. relationships, it's there's always a reverberation. There's always, it's going to bring to you what's not healed. healed. Yeah. So now Mike could be sick all day long <laughs> I mean, and it's not making me feel destabilized. Whereas in the past, if anything would happen with anybody, I, I would start to feel this deep yes. because that was my inner little girl acting up. So you got to take the less, there's always a lesson being handed to you. That's going to give you more healing yeah. and more ability to love. And so that's really what I focused on. Um, and then I also, like I said, I knew Mike had to focus on what he had to focus on so that that could happen. We didn't know yeah. what the healing was going to be. And through the grace of God, truly, actually, literally through the grace of God, he had a healing. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. But it was also a learning process for me <laughs> as I was as I was going through it. But I had to heal that part of me, you know. So I'm like, thank you, Mike, for taking that on because you were the one in all the pain. You know what I mean? And, and you um, healed and you healed both of your, he probably had childhood wounds for, for his. Yeah. So you both. Yeah, it was hard heal. for him to not have me be as much of a caretaker as he wanted. Mm. That was really, and guys, I think, you know, sometimes men also want that when they're sick, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it was hard for me to hold that boundary, but I'm glad I did. Cause that's how I survived. I love that. That's one of my favorite questions to ask when, when somebody's in pain, whether it's a panic pain or it's just a deep aching, all pervasive pain is when did you first feel like this? Do you remember back in your childhood when you first mm -hmm. felt this way, but it doesn't, not everybody asks themselves that question. I love that you asked yourself that question and looked Got at it. that yeah. and saw that it's like, <laughs> this is like, I wrote this script so that I would heal this wound. It's so exciting. Look at my beautiful script. And the end <laughs> of the script is that there's a miracle from God. Oh my God. <laughs> I know it's a lot. I mean, it's, listen, it's a lot easier to like laugh also too, when, when you're out of it, but I think there's such a, like you, you kind of have to know how that's going to go when you're in it, you know, and it doesn't always make it easy in any kind of challenge, but like on some level, I believed that the problem would be solved, you know, um, so but I feel like you live your life like that, Nicole. Yeah. And has exactly. it always been that way? Because you've told me about um, your childhood before and I literally forget it every time, Nicole. And do you know why? I think this is the third time I've heard about your childhood. And I forget it because you literally do not occur like somebody who had that childhood. Yeah. Like I don't even understand <laughs> you. So when I started to think about manifesting, um, I mean, I was so, I had a negative mindset for a long, a long, I mean, I put myself, I read the Alcoholics Anonymous book, not because I had alcohol issues, but because I was like, maybe I'll try and figure out how to break my negativity addiction. If I, if I learn how these alcoholics did it, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
that's how negative I was when I first, when but I, your started, mom was an alcoholic too, right? Yeah, so that's was, a good yeah, thing to yeah. do as, yeah. Okay. Um, but when I first tried to stop being negative, what would happen? I remember like, so I set a timer for myself and I'm like, can I go 15 minutes without thinking super negative, horrible thoughts about myself? Then I would try and extend, extend the time. And then I remember when I got to one day, I was so happy. And then what would happen though, is that like, I started having these horrible nightmares and I realized my body's literally addicted to the negativity and it's going to pump it out any, any way that it can. So for a while I was having really horrible nightmares and I'm like, Oh, I think my body's trying to, trying to get the negativity chemicals, you know, like it was, it's a, it's a true, um, that is crazy. That is wild. That is wild. <laughs> um, I forgot the question you asked me, but, um, Oh, you, uh, you were just talking about, I, I, I was like, how have you not always been this way? Because oh, manifesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, wh- one thing that happened to me that I think was a positive is that, so in college, I was like a horrible binge drinker and all of that. And, and, but then senior year, I started to develop these stomach issues and they're like, just don't drink. And I mean that like at the time, my consciousness level was not there, but like it started getting bad where like I would, if I would drink and I would still keep binge drinking, but it was like vomiting and, and, um, my stomach, it was just so painful. So when I was 23 living in New York, I had to like not go out. And at the time that felt like a punishment, but I would wake up and I would go to like the bookstore and I would just go to the spiritual section. And I was, so I started like just reading all these books and, and so it was helping me because it, it put me on the path of like looking for that kind of knowledge. So I think that's when I started to, I mean, I remember in college, like I started seeing 11-11 all the time and I'm like, what mm. is this? And then I just ignored it. <laughs> and I'm like, am I, you know what I mean? Like, but, um, so I started focusing on spiritual, spirituality and personal development because I like, didn't have anything else to do and everybody else was going out and I'm like, I, I felt like a loser at the time, but now I'm glad I did it, you know? And, um, I, so I started to realize I could possibly manifest. And then I don't know how, because now I do think of myself as somebody who I'm trying to think if I always believe, I mean, I kind of like believe the best in people, which sometimes serves me and sometimes doesn't. But I do know that I, I, I once I decide I want something, I'm able to give my belief to that without a lot of interference. Like I don't entertain a ton of doubt. Um, sometimes it'll be like, am I worth it? Like, am I good enough? But it's never really like, can this happen? Um, I don't know why. I probably have some circuit that's lit up. <laughs> that's like yeah. a belief circuit or something. But also like when you when you when you focus on what you want and you create it, like to me, I feel like those are the moments that are the more true. You know, it's like when something good happens, mm. when you have a miracle. Why isn't that the truth? Like, why isn't that the underlying truth? I think it is. I mean, I read A Course in Miracles for years, very dedicatedly. And um, I don't know if everything in that book is true, but I know it helped me a lot. Um, and one of the things it says is miracles are natural. When they do not occur, something has gone wrong. But it also says um, miracles are natural, but purification is necessary first. So mm. kind of how I see it is, if mm. there's something that's really aligned for me, and it's really something that's meant for me and I want it, I can have it. I might have to purify beliefs and things within me, but Mm -hmm. like the fact that I can have it or not, isn't, isn't the question. It's just, am I going to do like what I need to do to let go of whatever's in me that's saying like, I can't have it, you know? Right. Well, you're also super disciplined. You need to believe in the miracle because I'm like, you have to believe, like you have to 
believe at the end of the day. And I love some, that you gave him homework. I'm sorry, but that was just like so freaking. I'm glad that he, I'm glad that he, I'm glad that he, <laughs> he did it. But like, I mean, so with my clients, it's like so many of them just fundamentally have such a hard time believing that it's like love is the hardest thing in the world. Like manifesting one person is the hardest thing in the world. And it's just because of the past or whatever. But to me, if you had all these experiences in love that weren't really great, but the reason was because you were, it was coming from your childhood or if it was coming from all that, like most people haven't even tried from their real true self to find love. So how could you say it doesn't work? I mean, it doesn't work if you're trying to find love to fill deficiencies. It doesn't work if you're marrying somebody because your father said this and you chose that person because of this. It doesn't work if you're somebody, you're choosing somebody just to be lonely. But like, to me, none of that has to do with like finding a partner from your real true self. So how could mm. you say it didn't work? It's like a different track. It's like you mm. went on that track that didn't work, but that has nothing to do with you finding this person who's a really great match to me, at least, you know? Right. Well, I think also it, it sounds like a lot of your clients are super, super successful in a lot of different areas of their life. And when they're not successful in that one area of their life, it's like, wait, what's going on here? Why, how could I, how can I be famous and this successful and not be able to crack the love code, right? I know. They, it's even, they feel like it's even worse. Okay, so here's the thing. This is what I, and this is, I created this whole thing called Dating for Growth because I realized like in dating, basically it's set up that, and the way it's set up is you lose every time, right? If you have a 10-year marriage and you produce five beautiful children, but it divorces, you've lost. If you go on a date and it's not the one, three, three months down the line, you've lost. So everything in dating, how it's set up, what people believe is lose, 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 lose. So people feel like losers. Like <laughs> I feel like right. they're bad and they feel like they're wrong. So when I, when I, um, when I broke up with the narcissist or I left the narcissist and I'm like, how am I going to date in New York city? All my clients have said all these things about how bad it is. How am I going to date and not feel bad? I want to feel good. So I came up with this thing of dating for growth and it was just for myself. And I was like, okay, every day I'm going to believe, I'm going to choose to believe that the end goal is me being with my person. If I'm right here, and the end goal is me being with my person. And that's a given, like I believe in that. Then everything leading up to there is just helping me align. Like, so all I have to do is look for the growth. So what I said was, are they helping me see what I want more of? If they're helping me see what I want more of, like then that's a win. If they're helping me see what I don't want, that's a win. If they're helping me see a trigger in myself that I need to heal, if that's a win. If they're helping me see, like, see that I really have healed and I don't want to choose that thing anymore and I'm done, then that's a win, right? So I came up with like, what are all the ways? So after every day, it was like, how is this helping me grow? How is this part of the plan? How is this even a bad experience? How is this part of it? So I always felt like I was progressing. I felt like I was winning because I could see the growth. I'm like, oh, it's opening up. It's aligning. So mm. once I did that, it worked. And I created this whole thing for my clients called dating for growth. But most people are like failed. You go on a date. He's not the one you failed. You date somebody for two years and then he cheats on you failed. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's right, like, right. you're not yeah. failing. If you, if you take the growth, you're not failing, but it's hard for people to wrap their minds around that. Like in love, it's like so loaded. It's like, I must be bad. That guy cheated. I must be bad. They did this. I must be bad. And right. it's like, no, but thinking that you're bad is, is the issue. <laughs> also, I, I also have this, I've always thought, man, like I had a, several long-term relationships and it's like, they lasted as long as they were supposed to last. Like that's mm -hmm. the perfect 
length yeah. of time for that. And we, mm-hmm. we both got something, a bunch of amazing things out of it. But yeah. the fact that I know, and when, when people get divorced after like 20 years or something or whatever amount of time, but especially if it's like over 20 years, I'm like, oh my God, that was a really great run. And look at all that you did. Yeah. And now you're growing apart. And you know, it's like, why do we think that that's a negative thing necessarily? I, I mean, sometimes yeah. it's an opportunity for growth, right? Yeah. When you're in yeah. that pain point, but yeah. And at the end of the day, it's like people, I think with love, they just like, yeah, I have so many successful clients and they can make everything else happen. And like the thing about love is that you don't really like make it happen necessarily. How I feel is like, if you decide you're writing, you decide you're open and there's someone available for you, things are going to start moving in that direction, but you have to pay attention to your intuition. It's hard to pay attention to your intuition when fear is happening, right? So one example I always use is, when I was, you know, open and dating, I was doing this thing. I was interviewing a bunch of love coaches for like a summit, right? And one of them at the end, we're chit-chatting and he says, you know, Nicole, I think you should say yes to every 35-year-old guy to ask you out. And I was like, hmm, that's so random. It must be God talking to me. Like that is a random piece of advice. Like why would I, why, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think I was, I was 30, about to turn 31. So in his mind, that's what I should choose. But I, I was aware enough to know that's probably a sign. Right. So I said, okay, I'm going to say yes. So I said, yes, right before I met Mike, I met this lover who was 35 and he was great. And he was like a sex expert. So I was having my fun guys. I wasn't like sitting there <laughs> like, yeah. ah, like, but, um, and so I see Mike's profile on Tinder. Half his pictures were sideways. The other half, he had sunglasses. I'm like, is this guy cross-eyed? Like, I don't know. Half his pictures, he looked good. He had some like old modeling pictures in there. And then half of them, he his face was all scrunched. I was like, I don't like that scrunch face. So <laughs> I, I'm like a virtual, like I like, I do like people that I date to look good. Like I don't, I'm not the kind of person that's like, oh, I can like get over it. So so, but in his profile, he had keeping it Zen as the first line. And I really like that. Anyway, so um, we we set up a date. I liked how he approached the date process. And, and it was a Sunday and I'd worked all day. Like I was working a lot that time. And I was like about to cancel. Like I was tired. But then I thought, wait a minute, he's 35. Like you said, you were going to say yes. So, so I said, yes. Right. <laughs> and then, so then, and that ended up being my husband. And the thing is, is that I really feel like intuition or divine forces, whatever you will speak to you, if you're not in fear, and if you're meant to, to manifest that. And I think people, they're so full of like, um, um, I'm not good enough. Am I ever going to find him? Time's running out. What's wrong with me? Why do they have love? And I don't, they're so full of that stuff. They're not realizing like you're being helped. You're being guided. You're being whispered to right in your ear. Right. Right. So I think like you, you have to like, you know, you have to clear the fear um, so you can actually hear and, and, and you have to believe in the end goal. Like, why not just believe if you want this thing, why not just believe and put your full faith there? Because the back and forth is very exhausting, you know? <laughs> That's so is. great. Yes. Okay, tell us about your new show and where yeah. people can see it. <laughs> so it's called Reality of Love. All the episodes from season one are on my YouTube, which is youtube.com slash Nicole Moore Love. It's going to be on DirecTV soon in, in June. Um, and it's replaying. Just go to my Instagram and then go to at Reality of Love Show because you'll have all the info there. But the show is... Um, I talk to reality stars about their love lives and we dive deep into what's really going on 
in their love lives post-show and, and everything that's happening now. We do some fun games and you get to see people that you've seen on TV talk about their love lives in ways they haven't before and also learn some lessons along the way um, about their love life. So it blends everything I've been doing in love with my, I, I love reality TV. Like I love watching The Real Housewives and all that stuff. That's my little, um, my little pleasure. So that's available. Go, go to at reality of love show and you'll find that all, or you can go to at Nicole more love on my Instagram and all the info is there. Yay. And your website for courses that you're offering and coaching that you're offering. Yeah, should go? Um, loveworksmethod.com. Or if you just type Nicole more love, Nicole more M O O R E love into the internet you'll find all my stuff <laughs> it's all there it's so great oh my god i'm so excited to, you have so, oh my god that was so inspiring everything your heart like you said it's a pure heart i'm so happy that you were on the show to inspire everybody thank you so much 